this week on the Open Esther's Podcast with Ashton Applewhite. But the age thing will, will, will disappear because it says so little about us, in fact. And the longer we live, the less that number says about us. Because the longer we live, the more different from one another we become. Welcome to the Open Esther's Podcast. How will you write Act 3 of your life? Will you be open? Will you welcome the possibilities? Are you going toward your most vibrant, authentic stage of life? Are you curious to discover what's ahead? Are you in a fork in the road and wondering which path to follow? Would you like to hear from others who are already writing Act 3? Hey everyone, I'm Tessa. And I'm Amir. Why be an empty nester when you can be an open nester, living on the edge of your curiosity, on the fringe of your imagination, reinvention, and sexuality? Together, we'll take a journey and explore how rich this stage of life can be when we approach it with an open mind and an open heart. I'm truly looking forward, Tessa, to the interview you have conducted with Ashton Applewhite. It is so, so relevant. As we all age and enter this act three of our open nesting stage of life, at times we're almost afraid to admit that our kids have left the house as it may truly reveal our age. And Ashton was so enlightening for me, and I know that many of you will learn so much and really stretch yourselves because she really shows us that there's so much around successful aging, quote-unquote, which is measured by the degree we don't age, and that the society talks about anti-aging as such a major message that we need to help dismantle that I'm hoping to take on in this podcast and to learn how to age well and not measure ourselves by how young we look and how youthful everyone is, even though we can mix with all generations and be who we are, and let's become older and bolder together. So enjoy this wonderful interview. Let's get to it. Welcome, Ashton Applewhite, to the Open Nesters podcast. I'm so happy to be talking to you now. How are you? Thank you, Tessa. Me too. <laughs> so uh, you have a beautiful book out that I just devoured and earmarked galore. This Chair Rocks, a Manifesto Against Ageism which started making me think that my tagline for all these years that because I've been teaching playfulness and that playfulness equals agelessness, I started saying, oh, I shouldn't be calling myself ageless anymore because this is an important topic and I'm on it. So that's where I'm coming with you today on this journey to discuss how this stage of life, as we call Act 3, in this openness stage can open us to many ways of thinking and changing and shifting and and really taking on some of the important things um, that you're doing. So I'm going to just say that you, I, you know, I've heard this elsewhere about the U-curve of happiness. I'm going to mention it again to our, to our listeners that they may not realize, but people think of aging as this, you know, it 
has a dirty connotation that we're really trying to overcome. And I'm so excited to say I'm almost 60, not just 60, but 60. So I'm with this <laughs> new trend because it does. It's true that this, I believe this happiness curve, we start young being present and happy and playful and fun and curious and all the great things in life. And then we go into a, you know, a lot of stuff in those middle ages. And now that we're coming up into being what I think is your term, and I've been using it everywhere, age full. Now that we're becoming age full, we can be present and we can be curious and we can explore again. And I want to talk a lot about that, like discuss how, you know, we're all programmed by ageism and why it's important to look at our bias, if we can start there. Indeed. And speaking of, of, uh, opening up to things, let me commend you on the most important qualification of all, as I see it, um, is that you are open-minded because the very first step is to look, as you say, at our own bias, because we can't, because ageism is, is not as examined yet as other forms of bias. We are all biased and we can't challenge that unless we are aware of it. So to look at your own vocabulary and say, oh gee, maybe this aspect of something I'm doing isn't okay. And I could work on changing that, you know, without feeling shamed, without feeling like you have to change everything tomorrow, without feeling like you did something terrible. You know, this is, it's really hard to unlearn. unlearn and actually agelessness, why don't you even help me with that? So why in your book, you talk a little bit about that. Why should I be ageless? The, I mean, you can be whatever you want. You know, it's it, it, it. We each have to do this in our own way and at our own speed. But the idea of agelessness, if you think the term takes our age away from us, it it suggests indirectly that the the age is negative, that we are better off without it. It strips us of our years, and our years are what make us us. So it is not explicitly ageist, but it is implicitly so. Think where you see that word. You see that word on anti-aging creams. Right, right. Right. And people people default to it. In fact, this very morning in New York, uh, apparently, I didn't know about it till the last minute, there was there was they were announcing the campaign, the the um, a new campaign in New York to be anti-ageist called Ageless New York. Well, they didn't talk to me first because the message is, you know, that we can erase age differences. Youth is different from age in ways that are legit and beautiful and interesting. They, they had a campaign about agelessness, but we are inherently biased in ways we don't realize all the time. I mean. And I have another story to tell on myself about that. Um, I, I have a passage in my book about agelessness, as you noted, and I was doing a book reading and a woman came up to me and she said, I think saying I'm ageless is a little bit like saying I'm colorblind. You don't uh-huh. see color. And as I learned from reading White Fragility years later, the problem with I don't see race is that I don't see racism. So I, years later, did a graphic for Instagram that said I'm ageless is to ageism as I'm colorblind is to racism. Perfect. And I was super pleased with that yeah. until a black friend called me uh, out. Oh, okay. And said, you know, I, I really don't think you as a white one cannot speak to the experience of racism as a person of color can. And I don't think the analogy is okay. And I got really defensive. And then I talked to people 
And then I consulted a friend and wrote a piece about it. And then she said, well, you got this stuff wrong too. But it is like, and I, what I came to understand is that to compare race or agelessness, or is like saying, I don't, you don't seem disabled to me. I never think of you as black. Agelessness falls into this habit of minimizing the differences which contribute to our lives in all sorts of ways. And also center this idea that the younger you are, the thinner you are, the whiter you are, the more you conform to this privileged ideal, that's better. When in fact, that shouldn't be better. It should be value neutral and we should recognize and embrace those differences. And in terms of the word color, which is such a big word, much more than you just mentioned, is that we should color outside the boxes because each of us have such our own uniqueness and it, and it, it encompasses our age along with all the other beautiful parts exactly. of ourselves that sometimes are not always easy if you have physical ailments and you have to switch off and say, so I've had to say, or we have to say as you enter your 60s, you know, maybe I can't, I, I don't want to do that same. It doesn't feel as good to me to do that. What else can I do? Rather than that, that, oh my God, I'm too old for that. Like that statement that we tell ourselves over and over again, like how do you work on that with yourself to start with? Well, yeah. think about how you use the word old and the word young, right? It's very seldom about age. You might be. I mean, I was just somewhere where there was a um, surfing school and I blurted. I was there to speak about anti-ageism. And I said, I'm, and someone said, you want to take a surfing lesson? I said, I'm too old to learn how to surf. Me, after all, after taking <laughs> you know, Right, right. And, I mean, here's the thing. I, I am way too chicken. I also know I don't have the agility anymore to get up on a skateboard, a surfboard. I doubt that I ever did, but maybe I did. But the point is, I'm too scared. I'm too out of shape. I have too much arthritis. My age is not the point. There was another person there who was 72 and he was up on a surfboard, right? So it's think about one little thing you can do, but it's important is think about when you say, I'm too old for that or I feel old, you know, what, what we usually mean is I feel afraid, I may, or maybe I'm too smart for that. No, thanks. I've been there and done that. I don't need to do that. I'm too experienced. I'm too smart for that, right? Or maybe you are, your body is not up to it, but other, someone else's body at the same age would be up for it. So takes this, use the word that describes the actual feeling instead of being older as a proxy. As we become older, we have the privilege to say, I am more authentically in touch with how I feel about this. So let me just use the right word about how I'm really feeling about this rather than really where our society tells us like that's the problem with all, you know, all kinds of bias and racism right. and gender. It's a little safer to blame it on this amorphous thing that is age rather than cop to something more authentic and thought through. Right, right. And that's how we can become multi-sensory in so many ways and even beyond our five senses if we're tuned into ourselves. And that requires a little something, you know, all the work of life that we have at this age coming from our emotional and physical and spiritual experiences, you know, so there is intellectual pursuits. So coming together and saying, I feel, you know, uh, that my body likes doing other things more. I know that that's what I like to do. So why, so maybe I don't want to do that. I just don't want to. <laughs> like, push pulls, you know. Like, would it be why, easier? <laughs> do I not want to do, am, am I 
am I letting my, my fear or not wanting to be embarrassed or whatever get in the way of something I should try? You know, and the minute the word should is all right, exactly, exactly. One, right. One piece of advice I got when writing my book was do not use the word should. So I didn't. But, you know, should I push myself a little bit? You know, do I want to come out of my comfort zone in order to stretch and become maybe keep my brain fit and feel more challenged in life about growing or or try it and fail? (laughs) You know what? I am 68 years old and I just don't want to do that. And I'm going to be perfectly comfortable saying no, thanks. Right, right. And so let's try to say no thanks instead of I'm too old for that. That's the first thing. And then and then this idea that we all have obviously within that authentically figuring out what we like to challenge ourselves at, what where we want to grow more. And then the the and the and the variations that you had mentioned in your book between generate within a generation rather than between a generation is so vast. So I mean, what let, talk to me a little bit about that, why we think that all old people are and how we can dismantle that. Well, the whole idea of generations is very problematic. I just wrote a whole uh, piece about that. The, I mean, obviously any generalization about all the millions and millions of people born between year X and year Y is patently absurd. And the fact is that there is more variation within any age group, say people be born between 1980 and 1990, then there is between them and another age group, just as all members of an ethnic group, there is more diversity between, um, you know, all people of, you know, Mexican origin, let's say, Mexican ancestry, than there is between, you know, Mexicans and Nepalese, right? right. So, and yet we, we, we like to categorize things, it's handy, but um, it just, it, it, it pits us against each other it makes right. it easy to frame things, you know, in terms of, of old people. The classic one is, you know, old people sucking up all the resources and having all the good stuff and not leaving anything to young people and not caring about young people, of which there's zero evidence, uh, actual no evidence whatsoever scientifically of this myth of intergenerational conflict. There is no evidence whatsoever that old people don't care about young people and that young people want to throw their elders to the wolves. But it's sexy conflict sells papers and it's much, it's a grabbier headline than the really messy middle, which is that some old people don't care about young people. Some young people are, you know, don't care about old people, but most of us inhabit this much more nuanced, complicated middle ground. Everything's nuanced. And it's, that's why it's so hard sometimes to discuss things that we want to dismantle and know that this is going to be a slow movement. And it was exciting to get your email today about the fact that the World Health Organization, who is going to take it on again about ageism and and really that's I'm global, so familiar. The World Health Organization, the, the not World the Health. World Old People Organization, mm-hmm. on last Thursday launched a global movement, global program to combat ageism because they realized that the biggest obstacle to enjoying healthy, longer lives is not economics, you know? It's not, it's, it's not even medicine medicine. It's social science, it's social activism, it is ageism, it is social justice. Ageism is the biggest obstacle between us and the longer lives we hope to live long and healthy and beautiful. Like, and you know what, look, they're not always going to be the same level of health. We know that we have to deal with that. And yet you have this contrast. Say, let's talk a little bit about that, about the, the disempowering parts of aging. And yet what we can do as a society to try to lift that. So as 
people, we talked about it, but how about as a society, what, what are some of those things that you are, that, that this new global effort's going to even try to do? Yeah. Uh, there's a growing body of fascinating evidence, which is the basis of the World Health Organization campaign, part of it, um, that shows that attitudes towards aging affect how our minds and bodies function at the cellular level. Uh, you know, we, we've always known, of course, that there is a mind-body connection, but there is now all this data to show it, most of it done by a terrific um, scientist at Yale named Becca Levy, uh, who did the famous study showing that people, she, she cast it as people with um, positive attitudes towards aging live an average of seven and a half years longer. I don't say positive attitudes because it sounds like um, sort of a gloss, a happy talk, you know, and that you've just picked the happy things to think about. I say a fact rather than fear-based attitudes because wow. this is the science. This is not, you know, you know it, it's not me cherry picking the positive things about it. The more you learn about ageism, and aging, the better you feel about the years ahead, partly ironically, because all we hear is the scary shit, right? So it's an antidote and it seems positive, but it is positive only in comparison to the mainstream novel of dread and decline. I wanna be really clear, Tessa, that I am, that, that there are real challenges to getting older, right? Running out of money, ending up alone, and in particular, the physical decline. That is the one inevitable. Cognitive decline is not inevitable. Some part of your body is going to fall apart and it sucks. And that is real and it is not welcome. But, the, but people are, tend to be unaware of the way our attitudes towards those changes affect the processes itself. My favorite study of Becca Levy's uh, proved that people with fact rather than fear-based attitudes towards aging were less likely to get Alzheimer's, even if they had the gene that predisposed them to the wow, disease. Wow, that's such right? a huge wow. statement. Right, the research and the piece, yeah. is that, you know, that, that, that the, the, the facts, having the data, having the real information protected them against the stress of living in an age of society that tells you, you know, that to shuffle off stage that tells you when you can't find your, you know, your glasses, oh, you think, oh crap, I must have Alzheimer's. If you don't know what your glasses are for, you could be in trouble, but no one knows, uh, you know, sometimes I think I'm in the both sides of the story business. Alzheimer's is a terrible disease, but no one knows the fact that rates of Alzheimer's are declining fast. There's more absolute cases because there's more older people. And again, age is the biggest risk factor and it's a dreadful disease. But the odds of you or I getting Alzheimer's are getting lower and lower and people are being diagnosed at, at later and later stages of life. So, you know, the curve goes, goes like a very sharp up as you get older. Most of us muddle along just fine to the end. You know, we may, we may, we probably, most of us lose some of the processing capacity that helps you remember where you put your goddamn glasses or the name of the movie you saw with what's her name last week. I've, I've been but, like my whole life. So I don't think I'll even be. I've always had a terrible. <laughs> Me too. Plus, you know, you remember it. Plus that's why God invented post-its, you know, or my secret, I will, I will stand up, you know, when I'm like going downstairs because I forgot my water and I'll say water, you know, and that's right. Annoying. Repeat I things. I do that too. Talk to but myself. No, I'll just make one more sort of overarching point 
health is relative, mobility is relative. We age well, not by avoiding these things, because even if you are the luckiest, richest, healthiest person in the universe, something is gonna fall apart. And we age well by adapting, adapting, by acknowledging that, by stripping it of shame, rather than pretending that it's never gonna happen and that it is shameful and demeaning and makes us less of a person or less of a valuable person, less of an attractive person. If we have wrinkles, less of a valuable person at work, if we can no longer lift heavy boxes, no, 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 not such a fun house guest, if you will, if we can't go on the hike, you know, that those things do not detract from our value as human beings. In so many other ways that we can really focus on, what we focus on is who we are. So actually, instead of saying, I'm going to be 60 years young, that stupid thing to say, like you have in your book about the aging party, like, I'm never going to say I'm going to be 60 years <laughs> young. And that's what people use all the time. Oh, no, you're sick. You look great for your age. And I love that response that you say, and you look great for your age. Like, there's just like, you know, you got to dismantle this somehow. It's just great. Like, those things if, are so helpful. You can call <laughs> it out in a, in a non-snarky way. Then <laughs> the person, you don't want to throw someone on the defensive, but you do want to want to challenge them. I, someone had a clever idea for when someone says, how old are you? Say, I was born in 1952. And then the, you've answered the question. The person, if you're, they're like me, can't do the math. But you have answered the question and you have also put the idea in their head. Wow. They've been around for a long time without oh my goodness what a great way to do it right. i love it <laughs> i i have an association with the number 68 and how close it relative to me 80 sounds old it won't it won't in 10 years you know 30 sounds young but not you know so on we all have those associations with the number when you say the year of your birth we can't do that we can't make those ageist assumptions and someone is just left to think, you know, oh, she must have seen a ton of stuff. <laughs> Brilliant. And then I love the idea because I've been telling everyone, even though I have friends who are older who are embarrassed of cataracts, I was 50, I'm 59. I had to have a cataract. I have to have my second one next week. And I'm thinking, you know, wow, I got insurance covered me having LASIK because now I can really see. And it's a gift. And I look at it like that. So, and then we can we talk about that with that, you know, the breakdown of vision or the breakdown of little things but there's a lot of other kinds of vision we have as we age and become older. And so I, my perceptions, my ability to be wise in the ways I can respond and, 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 and go for the things that are, are most interesting to me and learn those and set boundaries with the people that I don't want. You wean out and you see more. Like, I feel like there's a lot about that vision thing and about all of our senses that we can focus on, which gives us excitement to 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 age instead of perspective more perspective you get better at not sweating the small stuff and i wore glasses my whole life till i had my second cataract surgery oh you too I, good <laughs> I mean, i'll need them again but i'm in this weird little like period where whoa i, I am actually glasses free briefly i know it's so cool exactly we'll probably my vision is a great i i had an acoustic neuroma and which ate most of the hearing in this ear. So I wear a hearing aid in this ear and you know, I, it bugs me. I wish I, I can't see unless it, the light is bright and I don't love it. But on the other hand, um, you know, as long as we don't hold on to the idea that the way we did the thing when we were young was the best way or the only way to do it. 
Um, Thank you. That's very liberating. And a really great example of that, obviously, is sex. Thank you. Let's talk about sex. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's sex gets you can give better. Me a dollar What's that? You can give me a dollar for bringing up sex. Okay, you, I'll give you a dollar. So the sex is the best part of it as I get older. I have more time to explore the things that bring me alive in all senses of my body that doesn't have to just have to do with intercourse. I mean, and it's amazing when we're open to that. Like the sensual, the pieces of slowing down and noticing our own responses more. Yeah, so, right. so, I mean, slowing down is a lot of it, which, you know, no one wants a change that that is foisted upon them that they can't control. And of course, there, most of this is out of our control, you know, the, the physiological, not, not entirely, but, you know, by and large, stuff slows down as you age for, for better and for worse. It's really good to get cancer when you're old because cancer moves slower too. For example, literally cell, you know, cell right. regeneration is slowed. Um, but sex is an example of uh, where slow, especially for women, is generally a bonus. It is a bonus. So how does that show up in your life and within, with, within your, with your partnerships? Or I know you're also not monogamous, so it's good to be able to talk to someone who else is not programmed by what society says you have to do. Um, and how, and how, how has that exploration helped you as you've gotten older? I think it's just made me... Um, I mean, I've done a lot of work, sometimes more successfully than other times, at beating back the narrative that old is ugly. You know, I look at my body and sometimes it looks great and sometimes it looks sad and saggy, but I think, you know, gee, my, my lovers don't, don't seem to be seeing it that way. And I think sometimes, you know, I look I am so much happier with my image, my face and my body than I was when I was younger. I mean, when I was 16, the fact that my thighs rubbed together was, you know, a humanitarian disaster of global proportions. And now <laughs> I give a flying fuck at my thighs rubbed together. <laughs> Don't do. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so I'm less self-conscious and that is really welcome. It's so welcome. And I, and I feel like the more we, especially as women, if we take the spiritual aspect of knowing how to receive and can receive like the, 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 our, receive our own juices, receive our own, where they come from, how that senses keep us alive. And we stay with that sensation. And that's the slowing down piece because we often think that things have to be so performative because American, especially Western society is so performative and it's sexual you know, explanation and, and excitement versus the idea that, and, and, or in the, in the, in the very shameful or, or, or the very highly pornographic side of it, it's never about, cause it's hard to depict that. And in media, the slow side of how we can really feel our sensations. Our culture venerates speed. Yeah. And performance. And it, I'm sure it's harder for men because the, you know, obviously, you know, the, 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 long, the, the duration and hardness of your erections does change over time. And if that is how you measure your sexual prowess, you are doomed to uh, be disappointed in yourself. And therefore, it's harder to be, I think, a good lover because you're worried about something that you needn't be if you can talk about it. 
talk about it. Like what so good to talk about it. And I, that's what I'm trying to do. We're trying to do on this podcast, get people to say sex is a beautiful thing to discuss. We don't have to be a, so, you know, be shying away from it the way we do. And, and it helps us then be able to ask for what we want and develop even more, maybe our erotic themes and our imagination and fantasy life, which can give us also a lot of excitement and adrenaline and, and, and generate dopamine and health. Hi, this is Amir. If you like this episode and you like to hear another playful, even sexy perspective on agefulness, you can check out one of our best episodes, episode six, entitled Playfulness with Shane Coleman. Now back to the brilliant Ashton Applewhite. And there's and, no age limit on that. There's, there's no age, no limit, age limit as long as you're talking north of um, 16. <laughs> All right. Uh, but you know, th- this stuff doesn't expire. And and the stereotype of this is this phrase I can't even say. It's just like a sucking on a lemon. The sexless senior. Let me say though that you know there are your libido does tend to diminish with age, and there are lots of people who decide that you know they spend a, a lot of energy in their youth getting laid, or perhaps they were never that sexually driven to start with. Or right, maybe, right. Well, there are plenty of There are lots of people who out of choice or it's hard to find a partner or whatever, decide to hang up their toe shoes, no judgment. That is a completely legitimate choice. And I think it's really important not to um, fall into the trap that we are only aging well to the degree that we are continuing to move and look and act like younger versions of ourselves. One, you know, one component of which typically is being sexually active. And if you don't want to be or cannot be or don't have the option, you are not failing. There is nothing wrong with you. We need to, you know, embrace the whole spectrum. But another thing we're thinking about sort of is if we're talking about who is sexually active, people for whom that's important, you can usually find a way to continue to be, although who you have sex with, or I love Joan Price who wrote Naked at Our Age. And there's a great quote in her book where she lost a partner and she went to the gynecologist a couple of, I was probably six or eight months later. And the doctor said, are you sexually active? And she said, well, I masturbate a lot. That's great. And I had not thought <laughs> of masturbation as I Ashton as being sexually active. It was like, why not? You know, so there's a zillion, all, it's relative again, it's the messy middle, of course. But if you think of the people you know who are sexually active, they are not the youngest, they're not the whitest, they're not the thinnest, they're not the prettiest. They are the people who know their lovers are lucky, who have succeeded in beating back this pernicious, misogynist, profoundly misogynist message, patriarchal, capitalist, because if you're happy with the way you look, you're not buying expensive, useless crap all the time. Right. Uh, you know, this message that, that, you, that you're flawed, that you're ugly, that you're failing, you know, that you're not, not desirable, right? And, and that the confidence, and it's not easy to come by. And believe me, there are times when I look in the mirror like everyone else and go, you know, what happened? Um, but if the more we can beat it back, which is, and engage in that communally together with things like your podcast, 
the, the, the better for the culture, the better for us. Thank you. So good to hear. And so the, this term sexless seniors, interestingly, you use that. Oh, you because it is, is it because is it because you hate the word senior? I mean, senior in general, I want to ask you about that. Yeah, no, it's appearing, I don't like senior much, but sexless right. seniors, somehow it sounds like some, uh, it's some like dystopian, horrible, bleh. I just can't can't think of it. As if you as if that's going to be what's going to happen. You, you're going to become yeah, that. It, Almost an it, assumption, right? It sounds like some beige colored blob. <laughs> well, the, 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 about it sounds fun no, it doesn't. Although sex, if you don't have sex, can be. I like to say one of my mentors, Barbara Corellis, who I interviewed on this podcast. Uh, she wrote Urban Tantra. She's been around a long time about the idea of, and she talks about that in her 60s too, that sex is not always maybe if someone's not feeling like they can have sex, they can still feel sexy. They can still feel sexual. They could stop saying that they don't because, and that's what I want to convey because that's kind of sexuality. Great, doesn't hurt that. Yeah. And so, so the idea that we can have, she says, activate your desire some, someplace else, like a desire for, I don't know, sculpting and, and enjoying the senses of that and how that feels sexual. What does that awaken in your body? Like we, we were way too limited in the way we call what we call I sex. I like that. I, uh, I really like swapping out sexual for sexy because now that I think about sexy, I realize some part of my brain goes to cheesy, mass media inspired, you know, images of women with, you know, spray tans and perfect bodies and giant, you know, boobs or whatever, whatever the culture fetishizes as sexy rather, and as objects, women as sexual objects rather than sexual, which is much more subtle, more internal, more subjective. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, 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 and helping myself feel sexy and sexual. So it doesn't have to be what the culture says it's what I say it is. So that's an important distinction. So I'm, I'm glad we talked about sex. Let's see. I have a lot of other things to talk to you about. So Oh, the ways we can kind of shift. You have it on your page 232. I marked it. I love it. I don't, we, we can't go through all of it, but how we can, you know, stop this idea getting away from either successful aging or that it's sad to be old, you know, like how we can actually, you know, look at that in, in, in a more aligned way with who we are becoming. And you mentioned some of them already, but if there are others that we can tap on, I mean, I, I could, I highlighted a few of them if you want. Well, newsflash, we live in America, at least you and I do. Um, which is a hyper-capitalist um, society driven by speed, driven by media images um, that, that holds up this, and one, one of the messages, one, a predominant message about aging, which, and it's sort of, for a lot of people where the pendulum swings, and I described this in the, in the introduction of my book, I went from like, it's all gonna suck to, oh, if I eat enough kale and have the right attitude, et cetera, et cetera, it's all gonna be great. Cause I, you know, it's sort of, the, then that is the successful aging model that if you do it right and you maybe, you know, get your finances in order and you go to the gym and you hang on to your man, I'm putting this in the most bland, heteronormative <laughs> of the argument. Um, excuse me for that. You know, it's all going and, uh, you know, and, and maybe have plastic surgery or, or I'm painting an extreme picture, but, you know, do your best to look your best. And that, that message really is that to age is to fail, that you are the better, the, how well you are doing can be measured by the degree to which you don't age. 
that to age is to fail, right? That you right. can continue right. to look and move like a younger version of yourself. The problems with that are, uh, it's expensive. We don't talk about the class bias much, but those things are expensive. Gyms are expensive. Leisure is expensive. Plastic surgery is expensive. So those remedies are not available to many, many people. Sets us up to fail. Sooner or later, gravity is going to do its thing. Or even if you have plastic surgery and no judgment, if you do, but eventually you may succeed in I mean, you can't really look 40 when you're 60 because you just look like a different version of 60, right? So, <laughs> but sooner or later, you are no longer going to look like anyone's idea of the age you are aspiring to. So it's, it sets us up, you know, the, the, there's this feeling of dread, right? You, every day you, you are a day older and it has had some imperceptible effect on you. And when that change becomes the enemy, that's an awful thing to wake up to every minute. And it pits us against each other. You know, how does she it look? It does, does she, right. Look? And know, that's that. so sad. Rather than seeing our unique beauty and inherent value and then yeah. being able to really call attention to that. And yeah. you know, why should age be something to succeed or fail at? So I think it's, it's important to, as best we can, um, you know, to accept, accept these changes. And, you know, pushback. I mean, that I got, I got no, I, I honestly, I have no beef with, with people who have plastic surgery or whatever you, you got to do what you got to do. This is a, a heartless culture, especially if you are trying to hang on to your job, especially if you are female, you know, if you dye your hair, if you have surgery, I've had women say, this is what I need to do to feel beautiful or powerful in the world. No judgment. Right. But when we hide our age in those ways, we, it's not good for us because those behaviors are based in shame about something that shouldn't be shameful. And from a political point of view, structural point of view, they give a pass to the discrimination that makes those behaviors necessary. That's one thing you referenced already um, about COVID is saying all these women with their gray hair growing out, finally realizing it's not worth it anymore to um, you know, to do something only, and again, you, you like dyeing your hair, dye on, you want to put your hair, you know, you've, you've had purple streaks in it since you were 16 or 60, more power to you. But for women who experience dyeing it just to cover the gray as an expensive tyranny who are feeling liberated, I just have to say that I am the only woman in the world probably who put gray in her hair because I figured <laughs> no one believed me that it, I didn't dye it. And I swear to God, uh, this is my actual hair color. I, all the bleach grew out. So now I'm debating whether to put more white in it or not. <laughs> Good for you. I love that. I love that. And this discussion is so rich because I mean, now it brings me also to the fact that I have a lot of friends that are single and dating and they have such a hard time, especially as women. I mean, I think men lie too. Everyone lies on the online profiles. So how, how do they deal with this? That in order to like stand up to that when that's what the culture is doing, how does, what do you say to your friends who, who, who don't know how to, it's so hard to get a, a first look, forget just yeah. when you meet somebody in person and you say your age, but it's right. hard. I mean, I, I, I have a, a, I would like, I would like age not to appear on profiles. Right. I would like people to put a picture that looks like you actually look. And right. obviously it can be the first question someone asks you. And, and I think it's important to answer honestly, yeah. but I, for the same reason that I don't want age on the top page of medical charts, right. your age is part of who you are. And it's a part of your medical 
you know, history as well. There are things that are significant when you're 60 that are not significant when you're 16. So it belongs in there. I'm not saying make it go away, but I'm saying strip it off that, that top level identifier. Right, right. That makes sense. People would not be able, same as saying your age, right? So that people would be, and I include myself, would be unable to jump to a conclusion, an assumption about the person on the basis of age right off the bat. I, no judgment. If you, I know a lot of people who are in their 50s who put 49 because they know that people screen for women in their people and men in their 40s, right? And then the first thing they say is, I lied about my age. But you know, it's too bad that an ageist culture forces us to do that. That's but I true. get it. Yeah, no, it's a, a, that's just this nuance thing is accepting the society that we live in while trying to push back as you are in, in about the societal things and about us discussing these issues. So people stop saying things like I, I'm reading again. I'm, oh, you're so young at heart or I feel young at heart or or you look young for your years. All those things are just just keeping us tied to our youth rather than our agefulness and the right. idea that we can continue to say that. And I've been saying it I for mean, the past heart, month. What does that mean? Adventurous? You know, <laughs> right. interested, curious? Find the word. You Adventurous, energetic, enthusiastic, charismatic, full of like playful, sexual, sexy, beautiful, happy, <laughs> whatever. Just stop with the young at heart and the fountain of youth. Like we need to figure out ways to dismantle this discussion of language. Seriously, yeah wonderful guy named Mark Friedman who um, started a group called Encore.org and he has a, he says the fountain of youth is the fountain with youth. Oh, with youth. Yeah. He's a huge <laughs> proponent of intergenerational mixing, which is critically important. We all so desperately need to make and maintain friendships with people of all ages. And you can't stay young, but you can help stay in touch with you know, the trends and stuff that, which isn't to say, you know, that pop music or TikTok or whatever is available to all ages. You know, it's not like, it's not that, and I know plenty of older people who are interested in those things. So it's not to say that you have to have a young friend to learn how to operate your smartphone or watch a TikTok video. But, you know, but, but when we have friends of all ages, it's much easier to stay in, in touch with a broader range of what's happening in the world. Absolutely. And, and attitudes and and values and, uh, and and vulnerabilities, you know, the the idea that where where people are the softest and where they can where they want to grow and all the things that really I think are so valuable that have nothing to do with age. So, last few questions about learning um, about how society can help us dismantle age and what's a societal. Problem? I know there's a, a lot of multi generational housing projects and that'll help. I mean, what are some of those things that are happening that are good? I mean, a little thing you can do in your own life, um, one, you know, it is to try and think of something you like to do and find a mixed age group to do it with. Because that way you form a friendship around something you're, you can't just say, hi, you're like lots older slash lots younger than me. Let's be friends. But, uh, you know, if you, if you have something in common, then you'll hang out with them and you'll discover you actually can't stand them or you like them a lot. And, but the age thing will, will, will disappear because it says so little about us, in fact. And the longer we live, the less that number says about us because the longer we live, the more different from one another we become. Another little habit to try and break, and I'm, I'm wincing because it's, it's tempting for me too still, is when you show up at a social event, try not to make a beeline for people your own age. 
Oh, good. I like right? that advice. Yeah. And I, I, I think that it's hard for older people. We think because of our own internalized ageism, oh, when, if I walk over there, those young people, their faces are going to fall and they're going to think, what's this, you know, old bitty tottering over towards me. <laughs> tottering. You know, to say to them. It's just too. our own perception, right? <laughs> right. Well, you know, maybe there's, maybe one of those young people is thinking that, but they're a jerk. And they are never going to be the people who changed the culture. And one of them, by the same token, is going to be, oh, cool. Here's someone who's different from us. And the rest are going to be neutral. They're going to listen to what you have to say and, and decide whether or not they feel like. So true. I mean, just to just to like really push the edge is my bestie goes to a nude beach. She has she's 60 and she has more friends in her 20s, 30s and 40s. And there's like no barrier with new being nudist. And it is so cool to see and, and walk over and meet somebody new, new people come around. It is incredible when you break those barriers and, and, and you, and it you, takes courage. it takes courage. You need to live more bravely. And that's the idea we can become. And I like that bolder instead of older term because we're older and bolder. What? Bolder and older. Bolder and older, not instead. Bolder and older. Absolutely. So not taking away the older. So ha- last question about your kids. Like I don't, you have daughters. I think you told me you have. I have a son and a daughter. And I often say I have four kids because my partner of 28 years has two kids. So um, I, you know, I love them too. So I, so by that reckoning, I have lots more grandchildren. Those ones are much, much more fertile. So <laughs> I have uh five and a half grandchildren, one on the way, and four, four kids, I have two, a biological son and daughter. And how do you see your movement towards all this work that you're doing in research and, and, and really being such a major advocate against ageism, um, how, impacting or, or your life now? What example as who you are today is good for you, has, has impacted your relationship and how is your relationship with your kids as adults? It's, I mean, I would, I would guess, of course, you would really have to ask them, um, right. not me. I think you never have, of course, a perspective on your own parents. I think that they see um, me, which I am very, very happy about, as a person who is actively engaged in the world doing something important. I am lucky enough to have been able to afford to pursue this for years until it started supporting me because I had a half-time job. So I speak from a position of privilege, but I think it's great for them to see, uh, you know, I think I'm a good role model for them to, to try and find something you love to do in life and really stick with it if, if you're lucky enough to find that thing. In that sense, it almost wouldn't matter if I was the dog catcher Right, if you loved it, exactly, right. You know, uh, and so in that sense, I, and I'm not sure, I mean, they they are both um, uh, aware of social justice issues, very aware of, uh, my daughter and I are are doing, um, I'm such a good mom for her birthday, I bought her a gift to like a white woman working on, on, uh, on dismantling uh, racism workshop. Good. So care that I'm involved in so, social my... justice work, which which I'm you know happy about. Did that answer? And so your relationships are are, are you are they close by? I mean, do you? Are... They are. They're both in New York. Um, my son and um, his six year old live. We have a little back building, so he lives in the back, and my daughter lives about a twenty minute walk that away. Wonderful. So that so you've built good relationships over the years. And when they left the nest, was it a breakdown for you or were you just encouraging of them? 
that's a funny story. I was so distraught at the thought of my daughter going off to college. Um, my partner called it pre-nostalgia. It was like, I was doing all this, like, I mean, I, I was just a wreck. And I, I mean, not all the time, but when I thought about it, it made me really sad. I drove her to college. When the plane took off, I sobbed. I was so glad the engine was making noise because I just let out this like horrible, like moan of misery. I walked in the door of my house. I walked past the door of her room and I said, I swear to God, I was like, oh, now I have a guest room. <laughs> That's adaptability, man. <laughs> I was over it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you had your grief, little tiny grief. That's it. I mean, and I think I actually, in hindsight, I think I, I mean, I was not that, I didn't communicate with her that much when she was in college. I mean, we were in touch and she, you know, but she came home for the holidays and whatever, but I wonder if I didn't sort of distance myself more than I needed to so that I wouldn't feel too attached or tug at her or tug at more, perhaps, perhaps protect myself, but um, we're closer now. Yeah, we all have our way and the, and the dance of life when they go, we go through different things is when we'll come in and out and, and, and connect with the ways that I think is important to listen to them. You know, they want to be their I own people. More. I so. think you, you have to, I mean, we, we, we look at um, my partner's parents outlived mine by quite a bit and they still, they expected us to go to their weekend house. And we never wanted to go to their weekend house because we wanted to be in New York, um, you know, hanging out with our friends, going to look at art, partying. If we wanted to spend our weekends in the country and do nothing, we would have had a country house where we could spend <laughs> do nothing. And his mother was mad at me for decades for not going out there for the weekend, but they never switched their schedule to accommodate us. <laughs> never. They would. Oh. And we know that if we want to see our children, we, we, we ask if and when we can come to them. Right. And, that, and the thing and that's, I mean, and, and look, once they don't have little kids and once they are a little older and they, you could carve out one-on-one -on -one time, I also think that's valuable Agreed. to maintain the relationship. So I'm hoping my kids will do more of that with me. And in the middle of years, he and I did not have, he, he didn't move in with me until eight years in when my kids were still in high school, but his kids were not home anymore. Um, but we would do, that whole time, we would do a big family trip in the summers and later on we did it with their partners we haven't done it a big one well hello covid but um with babies we've, we've rented a house anyway the point being when we did the big trip we always told the kids they could bring a friend or a boyfriend or a girlfriend we did not want them to choose between getting late and being with right us. exactly they should <laughs> be able to get late exactly <laughs> and we also wanted to know the, the their friends yeah. We always had, and, and we would have, when we lived apart, um, lived in New York, but in separate houses, we would have a family dinner on Monday night, and we always had a mystery guest, which anyone could bring someone, which was a way, you know, we were eager to meet their friends, but it was a free meal, and you didn't have to stay late, and you could invite, you know, whoever you wanted, so we had a very open door. Awesome. Well, open doors is it. So that's a great way for us to segue back to anything else as an open nester and as a, this open woman taking on ageism that you want to promote for yourself, um, Ashton Applewhite, besides your wonderful book, any things that you want to, you know, send people to your website, just go over uh, that. Or... Sure. Um, well, I want Tessa to say my book is fun to read. I love your book. I mean, it was fun. I loved reading it. It was fun like engaging. I want people to know that because I think 
people think a manifesto against ageism is going to be called fiber. <laughs> There's a lot no, of fiber. It's fun. And <laughs> actually, I have the cutest lesson that I learned that I've told people in the wintertime. One of your parentheses things about, about penguin, about how to penguin walk in the ice. I don't know why you even put that in there, but it cracked me up. And a few times when my friends lost their balance, I was like, you know, I read this paragraph in, with the, in the parentheses about you should really put your body weight into the footage, into the where the weight is itself, like the penguin, and you don't lose balance. So I guess the penguin fall over. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, you know, if you read my book, that's great. It, it, however, it does cost money, um, but it is, it's available as an audiobook read by me, electronic versions, blah, blah. But everything else of mine is available for free, and there is a lot of it. I have, if I say so myself, a kick ass TED Talk. That yeah, is free. that's how I found you. Um, and if my website is thischairrocks.com, I have been thinking out loud in blog form, and it says blog, you know, for 15 years now, not the blog, the blog for 10, and it's searchable by topic. So if, for example, you want to search, see that re report about attitudes towards aging and Alzheimer's, Google Alzheimer's, you can see the report, you can see the data. Um, I have a Q&A blog called um, Who Me? Ageist modeled on, um, uh, sorry, <laughs> that is the title of my consciousness raising guide because consciousness raising is the tool that catalyzed the women's movement. So you can download that guide for free, start a consciousness raising group if you're ambitious. I have a Q&A blog called Yo Is This Ageist, which is modeled on, with permission on Yo Is This Racist, which is a fantastic Take No Prisoners blog, um, started by a guy who realized we're, you know, crappy at talking about race, I realize we're, we're ignorant about talking about ageism. So you can, if you see something or hear something or say something, you can send it in for my two cents. Uh, and all that stuff is available for free at plus, you know, interviews, blah, blah. And I'm pretty active on social media at, at this chair rocks on Instagram and Twitter. LinkedIn, blah, 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 Facebook, blah, 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 this chair rocks. So um, follow me because I don't post a lot of junk and uh, it's all about ages. Awesome. Thank you so much for your beautiful, valuable time. Thank and you, I hope to stay in touch and see you at one of the things that bring us together as fighting this crazy ageism. Wow. That was certainly an eye-opening interview, Tessa. And you've done a, such a great job, really, uh, interviewing and getting and extracting the right information. And I'm going to keep on pondering about the fact that, you know, we all try, societies actually condition us to try to look our best, to look young. And although it doesn't really, uh, it's not bad to try to take care of your finances, go to the gym, eat well, take care of yourself. Uh, and it doesn't have to be really a fight against getting older. That is the message for us to learn how to realize that it's all in our attitude as this amazing World Health Organization and, and the way Ashton is taking up this idea of how we can look at ageism and our attitudes and how we can function and that will help us age beautifully because accepting this change, it's not an enemy and we're in the act three in transition times, we need to embrace it. And the cognitive decline is not inevitable as she discusses and the fact that we are not in this fear-based place of dreading and decline, rather there's a celebration 
in us becoming less self-conscious and less and more of who we are at this stage. So I believe that we can become ageful, and I love the message of agefulness. Well, I'm going to continue to ponder those messages as I'm not totally sold on the idea of the way you are. Uh, but anyway, uh, her blog is available on our website, and it's theopennesters.com, that double N in the middle, theopennesters.com. And uh, we would love to hear from you regarding this blog, or if you'd like to be a guest on our show or you have any comments, please drop us a note on our website. And we welcome your comments and how you feel about aging, as it is a hard topic for us all to embrace. So come to our closed Facebook group, The Open Nesters, where it's a great discussion that we can have, and join us on other social media platforms under The Open Nesters. And uh, till next time, this is Amir. This is Tessa. And we will see you on the radio. Ciao.